Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. The females are not improving the offseason. Mine are. <laughs> but we should probably talk about why everybody else's aren't. Yeah, definitely been in positions when mine have not been. Yeah, yeah. And through the learning process, here we are now making females make progress, right? Exactly. So that's the uh, that's the topic. Females not making progress. And there's a few bottlenecks that we come to in the off season when we're coaching these females, right, that slow it down. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes out the gate. That's probably – where you want to talk about like the, the post-show period. That really sets up the off-season where we see a lot of people drop off to where the the endpoint's already there before we even had a, a journey to it, right? Yeah, they've put themselves behind the eight ball from a progress perspective, especially like those first four or five weeks and managing that emotional side of it. I think it's a huge portion of setting up the off-season progress because – and we'll dive into this deeper as we get deeper into the topic, but that post show sets how long that trajectory is for the entire off season. And I think if you don't do it well, the amount that you can shorten your off season is a lot more drastic than people discuss just from the client process I've worked with where, you know, the client's fallen off or they're coming to me after a poorly ran post show phase. It's, it's pretty drastic how you can, pull out 24, 25, 26 weeks of all-season progress in someone who did it well. And then those people that fell off, it's like 14, 15 weeks in, they're already struggling to really gain adaptations to hypertrophy to move the physique in the direction it needs to go without taking it too far. Because then once they get too high in body fat, <laughs> it, you like slow down the rate and it's just nothing's moving along then. it's Because like, then it's like, well, now we go go back to like a – a mini cut phase to reset it, but then it's just taking so much away from the timeline. So it, it's so important to set it up out the gate post show. Yeah. Not always ideal where we get people though. You know, I had someone ask in the forum about this as well. Like the, you know, wh- about body fat assessment and where do you start with a female? Where do you go up to like what's acceptable? And it's really trying to get that person post show back to a point where they are fully recovered, right, from yep. the dieting process, physically, psychologically. And that's going to vary where that set point is for a lot of different people. The idea is you don't want to be, like, overshooting and gaining so fast. But for a lot of females that – I was telling this this girl on the forum, like, a lot, of, a lot of females fall in this, like, right, maybe at 20% body fat-ish, you know. Exactly. Get, get, give or take. Um, that might be a start point. Some girls that's going to be really lean for other girls. That'll be okay. Um, but then once we go past like the 25% body part, body fat mark, that's where I feel like it's getting on the top end. Yeah. And that could be <coughs> across pretty much any class too, in my opinion. Like I think potentially the classes that have to get quite a bit leaner, maybe not letting them drift that high. Yeah, because it's math for me, right? So yeah. you need to go from 20% body fat to 10% body fat, be completely peeled as a female. 10% body fat, that might be a 20-week prep. Yep. So if you're going to now have 5% body fat to play with, that's maybe spread out over 20, 24 weeks of off-season. Yep. 
But if you gain that too fast or you're already up to like 24%, like you don't have much runway to go with. Yeah. Um, so that's where you could let someone go to. And some people won't be able to stay within that 20 week mark striking point for prep. And I think when we look at, and this is so important on the psychological side is fostering the client into executing the post-show phase well can lead into the adherence in the all season. I see a lot of times too, because the confidence building that occurs from whether it be strategies and changing the, the foods for food volume or giving them the ability to use like chronometer for macro tracking in order to have those meals off plan, but they're still able to plan for it in that post-show phase where the emotional state's high. If they do that well and we create the systems as a coach for them to do that successfully, when we get into the off-season, the frequency of meals off plan and not hitting the macros for the day seems to be a lot lower because now they're making objective decisions in a less emotional state where they were able to handle it in that more emotional state. Some of that comes with experience of competing too, but it's it's why it's such a big component of that post-show phase to really map out the tools that are going to help that client because you could really set yourself behind the eight ball like we just covered, but then it's also going to bleed into the off season and those habits are going to stay in some capacity throughout the rest of that off season phase. You mentioned that. And like thinking back to when I was early on coaching and missing the mark right out the gate with post show with, with clients, uh, you know, a lot of that was, was that the level of client I was maybe getting at the time potentially like in an earlier coach, you're going to get beginners as well. So, early first-time competitors coming post-show, and you don't have the experience to really know what to do to manage it. Right. Maybe that's why you you have it more back then versus now. Of course, you have a ton more skill now to even manage it too. Yeah, and I think I think if you're able to do that well, and we've done post-show podcasts before on like everything mapped out that we typically cover, but I think if you do that well, what ends up happening is is – now when we talk about the things that limit the progress in the off season, they're already being productive where it's easier to implement those strategies that potentially leave females behind in the progress perspective. Cause I think, and we probably should start to dive into that relationship with food relative to the relationship of the social image that someone has, because this is kind of coinciding in tandem within each other where you get some females who maybe they do handle the post-show phase well, but then 15, 16 weeks in the off season, you see those emotions start to creep back up of their relationship with their visuals not being very good. Yeah, it can be, you know, where are we putting the free redirecting that focus in from post-show and off season? Cause prep's exciting. It's week by week change. You're seeing your body change for what you consider the positive, the scale going down getting leaner like these are positive things where you're getting like this satisfaction reward out of then all of a sudden it completely flips and now the scale goes up the visuals are just getting softer muscularity changes aren't really seeing so all these correlations you made with positive body image and the scale and the visuals is completely flipped towards now do you have this negative body image because the, the scale is going up i'm getting softer and that's where you need to shift the focus towards what are the positive things that we should be rewarding in the off season? And it should be, I always try to redirect it to training performance. Let's get excited about training on a week by week basis. That's the stuff you can really see changing. Yeah. And then remember enjoying your workouts again, making that process fun. Yeah. And I think 
and just as we bring up training, I think it's important to touch this too, is making those things excited about the specific list we need to progress to address the weak points. Like we, we see a lot of female athletes within a training sphere, not very specific with their training protocols. And if we can now not only redirect the emotional attachment to the training performance, but we can do it with like the wellness athlete who said her glutes weren't full enough to be able to be competitive on that stage. It's like, man, you take that feedback and you create it as something that they really wanted to address within that all season. And then you set potentially lift goals within those movements that are going to be directly related to glute development over the off season. It's like now you're waking up with purpose with each week that you're going into progressing those lists because it's like, this time it kept me back from winning on stage, but it's not going to keep me back this next time. Like, and this is something I'll use with um, project plan names or something like that, like project first call outs or project nationals or road to pro or whatever okay. it may be so that they have that. Like, cause I used to do it for myself. I remember the first time I did an open class that was above in, in like in the middleweight class, I missed the first call out. It was a pretty big middleweight class. And so, my workout playlist for that entire year and a half was never miss that first call out again. And you walk into that gym with so much purpose, right? And that energy that would have been from prep that could have negatively affected that post-show phase, not really liking how I did on stage, was translated into training performance because I had that emotional attachment to that name on that playlist I was seeing every day. We can now do these with these clients and redirecting that performance and like, hey, you know, this is this is what kept us back. Let's make sure that doesn't happen again this this time. Yeah, and and with that, sometimes that final outcome you're trying to get to so far away. Again, prep the acute sh- like direct show dates right there, but then it's like all right, a year later, and then you're sometimes lost in the midst of months, and that date just isn't clear to you, and it fades. So you have like this ultimate desire goal that you're trying to get to. So setting the mini goals being in training, right? And I think it's where the logbook does is effective, you know, not to be chasing it week to week, but just have like many goals that you're seeing move towards this big goal. And that gives direction on the week to week and refocus away from the only thing that's a positive is the scale going down. It's like, no, no, we want to see gym performance moving up and the scale weight should correlate with that. And logically we, we check these boxes that should mean hypertrophy at the outcome that we can show on stage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think understanding that that attachment to that body image from a social media sphere standpoint, you know, cause some, some females are going to have a pretty big attachment to the social media following, especially if it's influential in the way they make money or however they promote whatever business they're a part of. It's like, man, you can leverage these times of the season to relate to people in different ways and, and use that in order to, not only improve yourself because you're executing on your all season that's going to require you to be better the next time you're on stage and actually perform at a higher level. You have other people who are in this sphere that are going through the same thing. And if you can walk through those phases with people from like a content perspective, if you, the social media side is something that you're anxious about, it's like telling your story as you walk through this and are okay with those changes that do come in the off season and do step away creates starts to create a culture of people that can be supportive for another like one another i know this was something that was big for um emily when she was coming out of show she was like very like kind of struggling with getting back into what an off-season look would look like 
But she had a group of girls that they did universe together in that conversation that they created with that dialogue of like transferring into the off season because this was before we started talking pregnancy stuff, right? Created that environment where they created the social circle that could really keep them on track. Yeah, you're you're talking a minute ago about the social aspect. I was like, oh, just thinking about making you know the the groups that are in the same like stratosphere of the of the season, right? And that just gets to a point of like also removing the unhealthy groups that are around too. Absolutely. And, you know, you go and prep and it is pretty social distancing, but without, without Instagram though, like that's your new like social aspect. Cause you're not going out and, and, you know, meeting people or, or even friends that were so you socialize with normally you're kind of like lost and that they'll return in the off season for better or worse. So you see some people that are the extroverts have very, lively social lives and have to go like complete opposite into hermits for, for prep. And then it's a 180. Like, oh, well, I want to go back to my normal balance. And that lacks some progress. But you, you go back to these people that aren't pushing you towards your goals and detracting you from that. Now, in this in the same area, like even the people in the competitive world can also have negative influence on your physique too. Absolutely. And you know, that could be people locally. A lot of times it is what's what you're surrounding yourself with social media. Like, hey, if you're coming off people that on your page that is detracting you from what you're doing, making you feel negative, just block them, restrict them, whatever you need to do. Like, create the atmosphere that's building you into your, your better version of yourself. Make those positive groups, right, with other females that can relate and can support hashtag thick life or whatever, whatever you need to call it to be okay. Being a little softer in, in the off season, but that's what it's going to take to improve. Yeah. You know what the C stand for in thick life, right? Is, is it, is it cookies? No carb, <laughs> carbs and caffeine. Uh, <laughs> see, that's where my mind goes. Cause yeah. that's all I would think. That's the, the only, only two things that I need carbs and caffeine, and carbs and caffeine with my Starbucks edition. Uh, I think that translates pretty well into like the structure of all season though because i think for some females it's maybe they do handle the post show well but by the time they get the all season they lack the structure around everything and we can kind of go through each aspect of that whether that be just the daily habits of like sleep schedules but i see it a lot on the training side especially when the significant other competes because what ends up happening is the training atmosphere is a place for them to hang out so they train together so you have boyfriend, fiance, husband, who is an open bodybuilder. And then you have girl over here who's a figure competitor. And it's like those class requirements are so differentiated from each other. Maybe not enough to where some sessions could line up, right? But there's such a specificity in training for figure that's going to be needed relative to the open bodybuilder, especially when we talk about like chest training and arm training and things along those lines where the girl just ends up following the significant other training program. It's like, I'll get better doing this. It's like, well, like you will to some extent, but not to the level that you could potentially, if you had some structure to the class specific recommendations you need. Yeah. Renee and I don't train together. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> I, I, I train legs like three days a week for one, I would be destroyed, destroyed. <laughs> uh, but just, yeah, yeah, definitely would. Uh, I would look like a wellness man. So yeah, Renee and I, we go to the gym together, and that's the extent of it. Like, yeah. she does her thing, I do my thing, because we know that's what's going to get us closer to our goals. But uh, the enjoyment, we're just, we're together either way. Right. And then 
if she has a work set, I can come over there and help her. She can do the same for me. So we're together in supporting mm. it. But, um, and we, I will say we kind of program our splits till we go to the gym together, but don't get me wrong. Like if she needs to go, she'll go or I'll, I'll go alone too. So, um, but you're right. Yeah. To just train together, especially when you're that far different in division, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I think I just see it too often. And just that, that's like a, such a simple structural thing to apply to someone's life before you even get into the nutritional habits and daily habits that could potentially be affecting that progress as well. Yeah. And with that, so that comes down to like your training needs. Yeah, absolutely. And with training needs, you, you, you know, put time into like, I know a lot of people come in and they just want to hire you for nutrition coaching. No, it's not a thing. It's like, no, no, I've been training for a while. I got this. I know how to train. And absolutely, like your experience in the gym is valued and weighed in. But that coach having the full reins can pull a lot more progress out of you. And for each division, it is unique in what it should be balanced around. And you see a lot of programs that just get tossed around and not built out for the individual. They're more like exercise lists mm. and not training program. That has like progression built into it as well, um, so yeah. There's there's thought around everything about uh, the exercise choices and, and sequence that we're putting in, the volume requirements, and I can see things go either way for females. Whether it's just way excessive volume with very uh, with movements with a lot of isolation, just creating a lot of fatigue because mm. um, there's so much in place. And I've I've had these, especially in bikini, back them down in volume, and all of a sudden their lifts are skyrocketing. And they like, I'm f I feel so much better. I have so much energy, getting stronger. It's like, absolutely. You're doing like way too much before. Um, so yeah, the, yes, females can recover faster. However, it still shouldn't be this low quality work because so. Right. Yeah. It's that junk volume mentality. I think uh, you, you touched on a soapbox here, so I'm going to go on it. Um, with, with the training aspect, right, and the nutritional aspect that coincides with that, there's so many aspects that can influence the direct hypertrophy and, and the amount of progress that an individual makes, right? So these, these training volumes throughout the entire training split are fluctuating up and down based on the phase that we're in, where is the recovery capacity at, and a lot of the poor experiences I've had with working with someone nutritionally only, they do something with a training coach separate, is we're not seeing those fluctuations relative to the recovery capacity done very accurately. And then to the second point of that, it's I don't – believe that people take the execution side to the same level that like you or I do. And and the prime example, and this is like just such a clear example to give it is like writing the program for a split squat. You could execute a split squat mm -hmm. for a different goal and be on too far ends of the spectrum. You could take an RFE and make it a glute based exercise based on how you set it up and descend to the bottom hole. Or you could take an RFE and you could make it very quad dominant and just have the same exercise listed. And it's just like, this is, this is where I, I don't, at the end of the day, the training stimulus is the stimuli that drives the hypertrophy for the client. And if I'm not having control of that to the level of detail that I believe is ne necessary to make physique change, it's probably not going to end up in the outcome I know I'm capable of. It's the most important part. You can eat food, and you're not just going to grow muscle, right? If you train, you absolutely can grow. So training is the most important part. 
I don't want to say like, oh, now food and give a percentage, right? But <laughs> the, uh, but absolutely, like the training, you have to have the stimulus to then take the adaptations and provide the nutrition to make them occur. Yeah. So without controlling that, like that, to get a quality stimulus, that's huge. That's that's stepping the gas on your rate of progress. If yeah. you want a way to do it, that's that's it. Um, take full advantage of continuing to learn how to train better. I still do. I've been, I've been training for 20 years. I'm going to sound so old. I'm, <laughs> let, me say, let me rephrase it. I've been competing for 20 years since I was 16, 36 now in powerlifting, bodybuilding. I still learn how to train better every day. Um, even when Luke comes and trains, he still corrects me on things. I still get more out of it, which is wild, but it's, it's why bodybuilding is so fun. So to think like if, if you're an amateur coming up that you have it all figured out, just keep an open mind and always keep a learning and a student's point of view because yeah. that will keep you improving. And we say like, Oh no, I got my training. I've been doing this for plenty. That's when you cut yourself off from really making the improvements when, you know, to be the, the best thing you can do to improve your stimulus and really grow. Yeah. And I think if you create that buy-in with that thought process, that's where the client off season progress becomes exponential in nature because you're getting i know my limit for videos is 10 a week you're getting 10 training videos a week maybe it's eight some weeks it's specifically on the movements that we're trying to improve the execution you're seeing the progression in those lists stay within the confines of the rep execution and lo and behold the weak body parts now become body parts that are up to par with the physique or even strong body parts sometimes with enough time right this was something we did with myself as far as chest training like my chest sucked when I came to you and now it's probably a, a better body part of mine, but there's been a lot of fine tuning within that. And so when we look at why females don't progress in the off season, I think that structure is so needed from the training side. And I think you can take that understanding of how detail oriented you need to be with the training and now start to apply it into some of the other aspects of the lifestyle habits and nutrition we can cover next and take that level of detail with those to know how they can impact the progress. What you're talking about right now is really raising the bar for coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I've been in coaching plans where you do get like kind of the copy paste weight training plan. It has its place. Don't get me wrong. I, I can follow a list of exercises. However, you're talking about coaches now overseeing their, tra their, their clients training videos, right? Giving critiques for an online coach. Well, this is something where, you know, we might review all that video at the end of the week, but you have someone that's nearly kind of, it's almost like following you along in a session. Like the, the coach is much more invested in the process. I mean, it, it takes a lot of time to review that training footage, but if you see like on the daily, like, oh, we're really covering each day, that client's going to feel more buy-in from you mm. and give themselves more commitment to the process as well. It's no longer just, yep, oh, yep, good week, continue on. And, yeah. and that's it, right? Like getting yeah. stronger. All right. That's all I need to hear. And that, that's just not enough from a, from a coaching point of view. If you really want to improve someone like as a coach, you need to be more invested, but that also is going to help that athlete be more adherent and understand the importance of the training and have more commitment to not be losing sight of where they're headed in the off season. Yeah. And I think that potentially brings us into some of the other lifestyle variables. And I think, just to kind of string off the training before we get into over cardio is a big one. I think some of it driven from the psychological desire of staying too lean in the off season, whether that be for the social media influence that we covered or 
poor body image relationships or whatever it may be. Um, and understanding that the level of cardiovascular activity that's needed in order to manage health metrics is going to be so far under where it is in a contest prep or in even like a mini cut diet phase or any kind of like deficit driven phase where the amount could be literally just four to five 25 minute cardio sessions or you most people do really well on steps alone it's like man if you can manage your health metrics on steps alone the amount that that transfers into performance in the gym from a fatigue management standpoint especially for your lower body dominant classes like wellness and bikini who are basically just training legs every day it's like man you are creating an athlete that is doing everything that is pushing them towards better recovery and better hypertrophy outcomes yeah, it makes me laugh because you, you think about that. Oh, do you cardi for like you know, cardiovascular metrics like, very well? Um, these are like healthy young women. For everything they do, like they're not facing the same risk as being like a 250-pound bodybuilder that's enhanced. Same. Like you're not going to see all the, the lipid arrangements and kidney problems or anything like this. Like this is not their issue. So from a from a being a large bodybuilder, yeah, you kind of need to do some cardio for the health aspects, managing that that's not going to be the problem for your female. So driving them up to high cardio balance, I mean, you see the stuff people doing like an hour of cardio in the off season every day. Like that sounds a lot like prep. So, and, and then you have females that they're basically working for food, <laughs> not in the corners, <laughs> but they're basically doing so much cardio and steps and they're just eating a ton of food to, to do so. I had female come, she was like on 3000 calories doing all this cardio over 12,000 steps per day. And she's like, you know, yeah, it's hard to get all this food in. Like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Let's, like, reduce this cardio and bring food down. Now, there are other female cases where they do have low set points, just metabolic set points. They don't have a lot of food present. Or they're in a position where they, they don't have a very active job. Mm. And you're not, you don't have opportunities to increase just step count. And so you're not having a lot of food. It's hard to stay on plan because they have hunger even in the off season. So yeah, some cardio is there in place to have food at a manageable level to fuel training recovery, but also not have them so low that they have all these hunger issues to, to occur. So trying to create that high energy flux state in the off season should be there, but also like you said, not driving and dipping into your recovery ability to where it's affecting your, your training performance, especially for your lower body dominant classes. Yeah. And I think, a lot of that just comes around the conversation of what's the goal. And if you if you create the buy-in of what's the goal in this in this moment, then you can you can start to create that lower desire to be in that high, super high activity state, whether it be like fifteen, eighteen thousand steps per day or hour cardio sessions or whatever that looks like for the individual. At the end of the day it's it's a communication thing, right? It's it's coming back to how do we create buy-in with that client and, and pushing them forward to the off season in allowing them to have everything line up for progress. And I think that's where we start to get into the daily habits because, man, it's I, – I love working with females. I work with a lot of them. But sometimes the, the daily structure habits is where they struggle the most just from a change in the emotional environment being a little bit more – I don't want to say reactive, but they, they're wanting to do more things – from a experiential standpoint, right? It's it it's more kind of in that nature to be a little bit more free spirited. And you have your type A females, right, that are just 
regimented every day, right? You have different psychological profiles across all. Um, but you do want to see them develop into the daily habits from wait times and sleep times to meal timing. And these are like little things that just make such a big impact. It's just like in, in prep, you have to really plan and prepare. You get up even in the morning or even the night before you pack all your food for the next day, right? Like you're not going to miss a meal. The off season comes and, and that stuff starts happening. You're like, Oh, how long will I be out? Maybe I'll be out for like two hours. I'll make it back for a meal. And the planning slips a little bit. If you haven't planned well, you can continue to execute just like you were on prep, but you have the flexibility. You're going out and enjoying activities. You're just not in the situation where you're out somewhere and you're like, oh, I'm going to hang out here longer and you don't have your meal. Meal gets backed up and those routine things change. So I think you know, still having a, a planning aspect around it mm. to where you can you can keep that structure even with, the, with a, a more changing environment if you're not going to control that as much. Yeah. And I think this is why I write dual meal plans for most everyone. So it's a meal plan on the left-hand side with macros associated on the right so they can do the plug-and-play. Because it's like I still want there to be structure within meal structure on the day-to-day. And it gives them a goal of like, look, this is already split out into five meals, six meals. I can just hit these macros on a per-meal basis and adjust them up and down but keep the meal frequency the same. And even if their psychological preference is to move into macros in the off season, that's fine, but it still allows them the structure of like, this is what my day to day looks like. And we can keep some of that preparedness there. And I think also too, just from a, from a keeping them in the structure standpoint, some of that preparedness does come with sleep wake times because a lot of the wake time for me and for a lot of athletes that I work with is preparing that food for the day. So like you wake up, you do your cardiovascular activity. You start the rice in the rice cooker. If you have any meat that you need to make, you make it first thing in the morning with your breakfast. And then now you're prepared for the day or whatever it is that you're that you're kind of heading into. And where I see a lot of people mess up is, oh, I slept through my alarm or I was up late the night before, so I slept in and didn't have time to prep my meals. It's like, man, that's so easy if you just keep sleep-wake times more consistent in the first place. Sleep is, I still consider your number one recovery tool. Oh, without a doubt. You know, you just have uh, one night, you know, the older I get, the worse it gets. Like, I swear, like 30 minutes off, and I, do, I don't feel the same the next day. Like, performance mentally is not the same. The gym's not quite the same. You're doing that every single night. You seem to get away with it a little more when you're younger, but to be older now and see how influential it is on my physique Man, if I could have nailed that when I was younger, mm-hmm. I could have pulled out more progress. My recovery would be better. My training would be better. And it's a simple thing to do. Trying to go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I get in the off season. Sometimes you're going to stay up. You're going to have, yeah. you know, a social activity that occur. But try to at least, like, during the week, let's nail it, right? Yeah. It's it's more the, the consistency aspect. Yeah, it's not about perfection. It's about consistency over time, right? The person who is 90% on the plane and executes 90% throughout the entire year is better than the person who's 100% some weeks and 50% the others, right? It's it's kind of one of those things where it's just going to add up the bricks over time. Yeah, and it's just the little things start slipping, right? Like, yeah, I mm-hmm. didn't hit my steps today. Ah, I missed one cardio session. All those little things start stringing together, and you start allowing them to happen. Mm-hmm. And then they're just, that's the consistent pattern. Yep. Is not hitting it. And off in, in prep, that's never the case. So 
uphold yourself to your standards. You know, if you're going to set, this is what I had to hit for the day, this is what I have to hit, uh, at, at the minimum, those are what you always do. Yeah. And, and those are the unwavering things that you have to set. Because we're talking about huge goals here. Like, I want to go to the Olympia. Hell, you want to win the Olympia, right? That's a huge goal. That, like, I want to be the number one in the world. Do you think you're going to have to make some really strict changes in your lifestyle that might not have a lot of balance? No, hell no. You're not going to have much balance. You're, you're going to have to live like you're the best in the world, like no one else does. Yeah. So if that's your goal as a coach, I'm going to make that the standard. Like I will uphold you to that. Now, if you're saying, no, I, you know, I want to kind of live more of a balanced, normal life. Well, we should move your goals more to normal goals. Yep. Mediocre goals. And that doesn't sound fun. No, <laughs> no, one, no one wants that. They want, they want the big goal. With, with the little work. With the big reward. <laughs> and the prep that has no fatigue and you feel great one week out, right? Yeah. So that's what we all want. Oh, my goodness. Don't get uh, started. The, the million-dollar job without any of the work to get there. Uh, and so, okay, so this is really good. So you have people from a genetic standpoint who are able to get away with some of these kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that comparison game is trap 101 for Females oh, in the Aussies, and it's like those meal plans get shared around in group oh, chats. Man, and why is Becky eating five hundred <laughs> grams of rice in a day, and yeah. I'm eating two hundred and eighty? It's like why Sarah get a refeed, and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, you guys are in such different places, <laughs> in in different goal sets, and potentially even just different metabolic environments, depending on your genetic capacity. And it's like. This is my frustration with the social media culture sometimes is, you know, Karen finished prep with 400 grams of carbs in her diet. It's like, yeah, Karen in, on a inverse U-curve is probably over here on the far end where it's flatlined. It's like, you are not Karen, and that's okay. And you're going to have people who, in the off-season, it takes 5,500 calories to, to get into on the female side, maybe not quite that high, but yeah. <laughs> um, you're, in the female side, you're going to have people who take 35, 3,800 calories yeah. sometimes, right? And you might be eating 2,400 and progressing at the same rate. And, you know, you might be jealous of them eating all that food, but I can guarantee you they're not enjoying that, right? And it's it, more is not what you want. You don't want to be advanced. Because yeah, the progress is so minimal yeah, at that point. Not what you want. Like, yes, I want to do 20 sets of squat to grow, grow my glutes. No, you don't. <laughs> I wanted to go in. If I did one set of squat, my glutes like exploded, right? My quads, like that would be awesome. No, you don't want to do 20 sets. No, you don't want to eat 6,000 calories. And no, you don't have to take like, you know, 300 milligrams of Primo every week. You want to take the least amount of possible to get that effect. Yeah. And then you move up as you get advanced. So the same is with food. Food changes, though, because the people that are on low food, they're kind of hungry, and they're like, I could use a little bit more food. <laughs> fair, fair enough point. But, but realize those people in the high food, they have their own issues. Like, they're harder to grow usually. Yeah. They take a lot of food because of that. And uh, so you're going to have people on all ends of the spectrum. But, again, about being advanced, move up as you need. And when we're at is at the right spot and just keep progressing. Yeah. And I think, and to circle that back to the original thought process of the comparison game, like I think that's probably the final biggest one that I see cause females to really just start to go down a, a bad psychological path with their relationship to off season because it leads them to this 
I don't want to say disparity thought process, but this like, why am I even doing it if someone over here is competing at this level? It's like they're at a different spot in their journey than you are, and you just need to keep trucking along, especially when it, there's like an age factor associated with it. Like you see these people who just out of nowhere, 24, 25, or turn pro, win a pro show, and now they're on the Olympia stage at that, that age. It's like you're sitting here at 29, 30, like I've, I've – barely turned pro last year i've yet to turn pro it's like focus on your own journey right it's it's getting there at the timetable that you laid out for yourself and if you execute on that day to day at the level that you know you're capable of then you'll know you left it all on the table and truly find out what your genetic potential is it's remaining remaining your why of like why you really do this yeah right because you're focusing on status outcomes i want you to win shows i need a pro card and if those are always your focus points you will be sorely disappointed in this because we can't always win shows. We can't always get pro cards. We can't control who shows up. There's a lot of not, uh, uncontrollables in that. Control the things that you can, and that's what you do on a daily. Mm. I didn't start bodybuilding because I wanted to win shows and pro cards. I did it because I just loved training. I loved the lifestyle. I loved it daily. I, that's why I've been doing it for so long, right? And that daily love for it made my process so catered towards improving, it led to me winning, winning pro cards, pro shows, getting to Olympia. So it's remembering, why are you doing this? Do you love it? How do you make yourself love it? Like, what, what is it about it? That's where you find the passion, purpose, and improving, bettering yourself. And through that will lead you to be at that higher level on stage. Yeah, and, and to kind of wrap this up, I, I think a lot of that thought process and psychology of, the coach matching that is important. I think you can really see the way that a coach carries themselves in their thought process and the way that they treat their process with their clients affect females in that, in that phase, because you'll have coaches that, and because we, just because we talked about raising the coaching standard, right? You'll have coaches that are on it during prep because the weekly changes are there. They get the reward of putting you on stage and, the business marketing that comes with that. But then that communication within the all season of, Hey, we need to stay on X, Y, Z doesn't happen throughout that entire all season. And there isn't that process of checking training videos or there isn't that process of, are we tracking things on the daily or are we executing things on the daily? And I think that's where the reason that we're sitting in this room is the passion for development and that passion for development across all aspects of bodybuilding, whether that be us as educators or us as personal athletes or us as coaches, which then carries over into that development to our clientele. It's like you talked about this the other day. We were like that experience of being at a show and being more nervous for the person on stage than when you're on stage. It's like you're so invested into that development of that process that it's like like when – Tyler won the overall last week, this past weekend and in classic. And I was waiting for the announcement. I like, wasn't even looking at the stage or looking down at the ground because I couldn't wait. I couldn't like stand the, the, the nervous energy that was in the, in, in the air. Right. And then knowing that he had just won it when Molly was up there, like waiting for her overall win, I was like doing the same thing. And so it's that, passion for development that I think carries over into everything where it can really translate into how they develop their passion for the sport as well. Yeah, I agree. 
I think that covers a lot for the <sighs> topic. Yeah, this in person setup is nice. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a different. We're we're trying to upgrade the podcast for y'all. Don't expect in person every week, but better audio, better video, better everything. Yeah, and soon to come, better raising the standards for female yeah coaching. So female module will come out December thirteenth. So to dive into all the topics rather than females because females are unique from males. We don't coach them just like small men. They definitely have u- unique traits about them that require unique s- solutions to those problems. So female module for coaching. If you are a female or you coach females, cover you everything from the endocrinology of our females, the disruptions that can happen within that, that can bottleneck your progress. What do you do about it? What about birth control? What about lab work? How do you run someone through from a natural all the way up to an enhanced model if you're a female bodybuilder? And then what do you do in off-season contest prep to fully map that out, just like the topics we talked today? Just how do you make your females better? And that's that's where this came all came rooted through. So December 13th, that will come out. And we look forward to teaching you all all more about it. Yeah. Until next time, J3 University, we're out.